Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. Today I have Aaron Johnson on the show. Aaron and Sarah have been working together on a a side online project and Sarah said we should reach out and have a conversation. It seems like Aaron and I speak a little bit of the same language. So she is from PilatesArtistry.com. She's a Pilates instructor and she has a very interesting story that she's been embarking on recently of using breath to heal or at least reduce dramatically her symptoms of asthma that she's dealt with for a very long time. So I find these healing stories very inspirational personally. I like to hear them and I like to share them. It just says like, I like to share mine. So I hope you do get something out of this conversation. Um, it seems like Erin and I speak the same language and she's very passionate about what she do, does and she's um, integrating her breath practice more and more into how she's helping her clients. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everyone, I have Aaron Johnson here today, the Pilates artist. I'm really excited to chat. Uh, Aaron has been working with Sarah on an online program, and Sarah mentioned that we should reach out to her. So I'm excited to hear a, a little bit about her story. Aaron, please say hello to the Mindful Movement audience. Hello, thank you for having me. So uh, you are known as the Pilates artist. How long have you been into Pilates as a practice? Um, I was actually just writing something today about, about that. And it's been um, 20 years. So I started after the birth of my child 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're a veteran. Yeah, I would say so. So you were mentioning before we uh, hit record here that you have like a history of asthma and how you kind of healed that through breath practice. And I find that fascinating. I myself in the last few years have taken, I guess, a deeper dive into breath. And I've been really, um, really blown away by the power that we kind of walk around with in our own body and what we could do. So I'd love to hear more detail about that journey. But maybe you could tell us kind of how you got to where you are now first. And I guess you're a studio owner in the uh, Chicago area, and then you run online like teacher training courses. Yes, I, um, I, like I said, I've been doing Pilates for about 20 years, and I, um, I owned my own studio now, my brick and mortar studio for four years, and I've had a training program. I used to impl- I used to have my training program at somebody else's studio before this, so. I have just done in-person training for, you know, I do teacher training, teaching people how to be Pilates teachers, but I'm transitioning right now. And that's part of what I'm learning in the group with um, Sarah. I'm transitioning to putting my teacher training online. Um, And I- Is that basically a a result of the the pandemic situation? Just forced to or- It is, but I also think that it's more efficient. So I love teacher training. 
and I love kind of seeing people put this puzzle together and like how, you know, how the Pilates system works um, and seeing people learn and become their own, you know, their own teacher. But it is a lot of time and it's a lot of talking and it's a lot of in-person energy. So if there's a way to, you know, teach some of the exercises where we can teach some of the exercises online, and then you can do some meeting with the people to kind of problem solve things. I think that will save a lot of time for everybody and a lot of energy. And actually, I think it'll make it probably better. Um, and then you meet, you know, you can meet in person when I think everything is over and work on, you know, how to, how to teach people how to touch eventually you can touch other people at some point <laughs> how dare you <laughs> right <laughs> so what got you into pilates in the first place um basically after i had i was 26 when i had my child and i um i wasn't super into exercise before that i um worked out but just to like get it in you know i did my 30 minutes a day because that's the way i was like i grew up i just was like do the exercise and um and I didn't really think much of it. And then I had a really kind of hard pregnancy. And after um, I had my child, I like felt so weak. I'd never felt this weak before in my life. And, you know, they tell you not to lift things over a certain weight. And I mean, I could barely lift like the bulk of paper towels I was buying, you know? So I knew there was something wrong with my body now and it just didn't feel how it, how it felt before. And I was still in my twenties, you know, so it was like, there's something going on. And I just was starting, you know, I started reading about core work and all that. And I actually did something horrible that you're not supposed to do before I found Pilates. I was just trying to do sit-ups all the time. Cause I thought that I needed stronger abs because you, you know, you don't have those when you're pregnant and doing like the amount of sit-ups I was doing after I had my child is not recommended. Um, it's not good for you. So I found like a DVD at Target and I started doing Pilates on my living room floor. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. And then I fell in love with it because I got stronger. And then I eventually started doing mat classes at a gym. And then I started doing private sessions at a studio and then became obsessed because it's amazing and you just feel stronger and feel really good. And then everybody that I knew was like, well, maybe you can, you know, start teaching this because we don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> talk good about, you know, talk about Pilates to everybody. And, you know, people were also very encouraging that they, they thought, so I was passionate about it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where it all started. For the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with Pilates, do you have like a, a short way to kind of describe, give a description if you were trying to define what it is? Yeah, I mean, so that's, this is again, like why I named my, my studio and my company Pilates Artistry. Um, Pilates is a system of exercises that a man named Joseph Pilates linked together some of the exercises were already in existence some of them came from gymnastics and came from like greco-roman wrestling we have a lot of rolling exercises you know there's the whole mat routine is on the floor and if you look at the exercises the, some of them look like they come from yoga some of them look like they come from other disciplines and from everything that i know about pilates the, these exercises were part of european culture at some time 
And then Joseph Pilates linked them together and created so also some new exercises and put them into a system. And the whole system is based on spinal movement. So we, you know, we teach core and the core is your spine and your diaphragm and your inner muscles. It's not your abs. So every movement goes from like your mid, like your midline, right? Your spine and everything is close to center as you can be and then radiates outward. And every exercise is connected your whole body and it's all total body exercise. So it has a good reputation of being healthy for people's backs. You know, people come to us after back surgeries and after back injuries because we're focused on the spine. Gotcha. So uh, you mentioned, um, so I guess breath is like a big component of Pilates. Um, I, I remember going through some teacher trainings for it back in the day. This was, um, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, like a couple weekend long trainings. Maybe it was like uh, Matt one and then reformer one. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't remember specifically, but I remember that there was definitely a breath component. Was that like your entry point into having a breath practice or? Not at all. <laughs> um, the breathing that's taught in Pilates is, is not, um, I don't recommend it actually. Um, so it was not good for an asthmatic to do that breathing. I won't say that it's bad for everybody. It just was never helpful for me. I think the breathing in um, Pilates is really, there's two um, components of it. One is just the basic like exhale and exertion, which people do in a lot of other disciplines as well. Um, and there's a lot of exhaling out of the mouth. And I've since found out that that is not healthy and that's not really advantageous to doing the exercises. Um, and there's a lot of people do a lot of different breathing styles in Pilates. Um, and Mr. Pilates, Joseph Pilates has, has had designed a lot of exercises to do some breath holds. And I'm doing breath holds in the work that the breath work that I'm doing now, but he had the breath holds on the inhalation, like you would do if you were diving into water. Um, we just know more now about breathing than we did when he designed the breathing to go with the exercises. So things I'm personally like obsessed with breath holding. That's, that's the practice I'm using. So it's all breath holding. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I might. Yeah. I remember like in my Pilates experience, um, there was a lot of like, I, I thought to be like odd cueing and I don't, I think it was just um, maybe like that the, communication of the breath around the system maybe wasn't consistent or really dialed in yet as the system was evolving and different um, like certifying bodies were kind of putting all the parts together maybe but I think uh, some of the literature that's coming out over the last few years about breathing has really um, made available I think more of a scientific approach that links like the physiology of the body to the breath that's been really helpful for I mean myself personally and I know a lot of others that have tapped into some of this literature that's that's been out there yeah and that's that's informed the breath practice that I do gotcha that that comes more from this these I mean the, the a lot of the studies have been started in the early 2000s but it's becoming more mainstream like available now is there a certain like teacher or book that 
uh, really moved the needle for you in your education around breath? Yes, there, there is. The, the technique that I practice is called the oxygen advantage. Okay. And the Robert McCowan? Uh, Patrick, Patrick McCowan. McCowan. Yeah. yeah. Patrick McCowan. He's an, he's an Irish guy. He, um, he, him and James Nestor both, you know, have these, they're like these leading forces in, in the breath world right now. Right. And, and both of these books are amazing. Patrick just came out with a new book called the breathing cure. And it's a like more comprehensive book than his, his older books. It's oh, just cool. newly released. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it, it's awesome. It has all the science. It has um, lots of information about how breath work can help heal different things more than asthma. It can heal more than more than asthma. And um, Patrick was he for years and years. He still is, but his work stems from a method called the Buteyko method. And Buteyko was a Russian doctor, and Buteyko just started studying breath and he he was studying patients that were critically ill and he found that no matter what the disease the people as they got sicker their breathing would become more and more labored so he he started being curious about breathing um, and that's what patrick was trained in and then i did some buteco um, method training before i found the oxygen advantage and i was doing some zoom sessions with this woman in england and um the oxygen advantage to me, the difference between the oxygen advantage and the Buteyko method, I think Patrick has improved on the Buteyko method a lot. They're just a little bit more hardcore and very strict about the breath hold. So they- so You they, mean the Buteyko is? The Buteyko is, They're, yeah. It's more like a lifestyle for them, I guess. Well, it's a lifestyle, but they also want to push you to complete apnea, which is terrifying for an asthmatic. It's completely terrifying, right? So they want you to go for as long as you can. And I think with as somebody with who has asthma, that's just too scary. So the oxygen advantage has more of this like kind of Goldilocks effect that they want. They want you to push yourself, but not to the point where it's like terrifying or like you'll get dizzy or something like that. Gotcha. I don't think there's anything wrong with the Buteyko method. I just think Patrick made it, um, more accessible. He made it more tolerable for me personally. So if I recall, maybe I'm getting this wrong, Buteyko is basically breathing in slow. It's all through the nose. Most breath practice all seems to be through the nose, but it's breathing in slowly, but not very like deep in location, but not in volume, but then Correct. Correct. really dragging out exhales for as long as possible and really not rushing to inhale. Correct. Exactly. And it's also breath holding. Right. Difference with the and when you're new at it, it's terribly uncomfortable. I mean, it's like fright. It can be really like a unsettling sensation. Mm -hmm. Then you like, um, in my experience, it's almost like you break through that and you get to this other place. Like it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, and then it's like, oh, all the hard went away, and now there's a sense of calm. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what what's going on. And um, the, the Buteyko method is a little different from some of the other breath hold practices in that you always, you always hold after the exhalation. So there's breath holding. And then what you were just describing is called air hunger, where you're trying to breathe so lightly. The imagery is like back, you know, back 
before there was electricity and you were like a singer, you had a candle and your sheet music and you had to, you know, sing and breathe so lightly that you wouldn't blow out the candle or something. Oh, so, you know, you put your finger under your nose and you breathe so lightly and gently that you don't feel any air on the inhale or the exhale on your finger. But that's, so that's a practice, that's a technique. That's not how they want you to breathe all day. It's like when you're exercise, it's like that's being at the gym for well, the breath. That, that one, the, the air hunger, I don't think you can totally do while you're exercising. No, There's, I mean, it's like when you're devoting specific time. So it's like not a all yeah, day long yeah. thing. It's right. That's your like, you're like sitting down to practice. Right. Now I do that air hunger while I'm like watching TV or something, you know, cause you don't have to pay like total attention to it. You can just be like, you know, just kind of feel if you're breathing, you know, and you, you can also like do it while you're doing anything else. Then there's also like some in the oxygen advantage, there's uh, resonance frequency breathing, which is cadence breathing. So you're breathing in for four seconds and you're exhaling for six seconds. So you're trying to balance your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Gotcha. So you yeah. use this and basically reversed asthma that you had the majority of your life or? So it's, I'm on the way to healing. So it's not healed yet. Um, I still become breathless doing some activities, but now I have a strategy to, um, to recover from that. So like I practice handstands. I do an online class um, with some Canadian gymnastics school on Wednesday night. So I was doing that last night and the handstands are really hard and we'll do handstand holds and handstand drills. And occasionally I have to come out of the handstand because I'm like feel myself starting to inhale too forcefully. And I feel myself inhaling too frequently. And so I have to come out of it. And that's basically what starts asthma is that you're just inhaling too fast and that you're, you're actually breathing in too much air, too much volume. So I come out of it and I kind of put my hands on my ribs and I practice this cadence breathing, that four, six breathing. And it's actually training the diaphragm. Gotcha. So I have strategies for dealing with the, um, the onset of asthma. It, I think that it's gonna take a while longer to cure it. You know, I have to keep the practice up every day for a few years. But we cut out there a little bit. But do you feel like your practice has at least allowed you to, I guess, like move the needle where your baseline like level of asthma is, has changed? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I did was I started taping my mouth shut at night about four years ago. And ever since I did that, I, I haven't needed an asthma rescue inhaler at all. Like I don't that is so amazing that statement like you know one of the things that this channel that I guess we're passionate about is like empowering people to play a bigger role in their own like sense of well-being and I think there's so many people out there that just have no clue like we just we're never told asthma is something that you have control over yeah my asthma doctors never told me this the medical industry doesn't care about this stuff because there's no money in the fix Right. But if I, you know, if I had been, you know, a kid and when I found out I had asthma and somebody was making me do this, they would have to make me do it because it's uncomfortable, like, you know, but my life would have been different. You know, I, I, I was running marathons with an asthma inhaler 
And I was taking puffs of this thing like 12 times a day. Oh my. And it's steroids, you know, my hands were shaking and. But yeah, my, my grandfather, I, I mean, that was, he basically died from steroid use mm. for decades of just treating asthma. And, and they you know, tell you that it's safe and that you can use it your whole life. Yeah. And it's not. Of course not. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah. that's, I think it's a really inspiring story. I thinking about some people in my life now that are suffering it, that I have been trying to nudge to like, you know, you could, you can do something, you know, it's, it's hard, delicate balance when you do a lot of learning about like health related stuff as a, I don't know, a health enthusiast, Yeah. you know, balancing that line of um, trying to help someone and just annoying them with information they're not ready for or so, um, you know, you don't want to like ruin a relationship because you're trying to say, hey, try to help yourself. But it's right. so it's so exciting to hear that we can take control over something like this that, you know, is really unknown. And now I guess it'll be more and more known with these books kind of rolling out the way they are. I think it's going to keep keep getting more and more popular, like the, um, you know, I just finished a, a month ago the training to become an advanced uh, oxygen and oxygen advantage instructor and Patrick would you know say he's like he was just talking to James Nestor the night before and James Nestor who wrote breath is saying yeah. that um you know Stanford is calling him all these like all oh, of these cool. schools are now interested in this stuff I don't know when the medical profession is going to catch up I mean there I have access through this training to like hundreds and hundreds of articles, peer-reviewed scientific articles that prove this stuff. So scientists have studied it. It's just a matter of the medical industry not telling anybody about it. Well, they're um, not really in, incented to. Um, that's true. I, yeah, I they're not really in the, the business of teaching people how to heal themselves. So, yeah. But people are waking up and realizing that, you know, they they can play a bigger role. So there are more self healers, I guess, emerging, learning that they are their, their best doctor. If they, you know, are willing to do the work. Um, you know, that book, uh, Nestor's book, is it breathe or breath? It's, well, I think it's breath. That was great. I listened to that on um, audible and it was great because it was this nice balance. I found of the science around it and learning about, like the Bohr effect and, you know, all, yeah. all the mechanics and, but it was like juxtaposed with the process of him going through these studies. And there's this, uh, I guess, kind of comical Danish guy he was going through with it. And it was, it made it for a very entertaining way to learn about something very important. You know, it was, it was like a little bit of textbooky, but a little bit of a kind of a funny novel almost. And yeah, he's very easy to digest. He's got a great writing style. And so I, I recommend his book to everybody. Patrick's book has some anecdotes in it that are stories, but he's not, you know, he's not, a, you know, a journalist like James Nestor. Right. So his, uh, Patrick's book is a lot more scientific where it's like a lot about the Bohr effect and about this like oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve and all of these, you know, very scientific things. Um, so I would recommend, you know, people reading or listening to breath. Um, and then James Nestor does explore some other breathing techniques in there, um, which, you know, I think are, are okay for, for other people. I personally don't think that the Wim Hof or anything like that is, is right for me. Um, 
because I'm still, I'm still on my journey with curing asthma and those hyperventilation techniques like that are interesting. And I understand their, um, you know, the science of those techniques is to stimulate an immune response, right. To heal other things in the body and the cold baths and stuff or to like right. stimulate some, some things that are dormant. But at the same time, I think you have to have a healthy level of breathing before you, before you do that, you have to be able to have a good breath hold. Yeah. I was doing Wim Hof for a while and it was definitely a great learning experience and, you know, really useful. But then I found as I practice with a fraction of the amount of like inhale effort, um, I was able to accomplish pretty much the same length and breath holds where I feel like that was the real value of the, was from the breath hold. So um, it was like, why do what you, with brute force, what you could do with finesse almost. And I found like I settled into just this subtle finesse version, which later I learned is kind of born out of pranayama practices that go back like this is not something new. It's just yeah. kind of being rediscovered. Could you, you, uh, or we mentioned the bore effect for a little bit. It seems like that's a big component of this. Do you feel confident in like uh, giving a brief description of what that is? Yeah, definitely. So the Bohr effect um, is, is named after a Danish scientist named Christian Bohr. And the, the whole gist of the Bohr effect basically is um, that you need a certain amount of carbon dioxide in your bloodstream to make the hemoglobin molecules release the oxygen. So, you know, if those, everybody has those like pulse ox meters you can put on your finger, they put them on you in the hospital. You're going to, every time you put that on, unless you're critically ill, you're, it's going to say something between like 90 and 99. You always have that amount of, of oxygen in your blood. So it's in your red blood and oxygen, when you breathe it in, binds to hemoglobin in your red blood cells. The hemoglobin really likes oxygen, so it tries to keep it. And if you don't have an adequate level of carbon dioxide in your bloodstream, your oxygen is going to stay in your blood and it's not going to get released to your all of your organs and all of your tissues. And is that because there's like no, from, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no sensor for oxygen in the body. The sensor, so the signal is carbon dioxide. So we rely on the carbon dioxide to signal to release oxygen from the hemoglobin into, into a cell. Yeah, into, into the tissues. cell. Exactly. So you're like, you know, you're never going to have a hundred percent oxygen in your blood, but, but you're right. You, we have chemoreceptors. Like there are all these like receptors that signal to your brain what your, your blood pH is, right? And what the mixture of gases in your blood are. And they're, they're, they're looking for carbon dioxide. So they're like you're, you said, they're not sensing the oxygen, they're sensing carbon dioxide. So with that, the impression I got is we're basically in through practicing, trying to build to like carbon dioxide tolerance so that we could walk around with more carbon dioxide so that there's just more oxygen being moved into cells when needed. Yeah, basically we want balance. So what, what's happened is, you know, like when we're children, children are breathing, most children, unless like, you know, they had something happen in utero or something, they're breathing normally. But as we get stress and we talk nonstop, 
we we let go of too much carbon dioxide right and then your your respiratory center wants to keep everything the same so it wants to keep if you're hyperventilating right you're breathing in too much oxygen and it wants to keep it the same so it doesn't it doesn't allow for you to tolerate carbon dioxide so basically we're not we're we're just trying to get balance right because none of us are balanced if we have a short breath hold right you're you have too much oxygen and not enough carbon dioxide so the oxygen is not getting to your tissues so yeah you have a, a high like sensitivity to the carbon dioxide if you if you can't hold your breath for long or if you have uh breathing dysfunction or asthma you, you're like highly sensitive to it um I think a cool analogy is somebody who is um, like, this is where the hunger part comes in again. So you're, you're, you've eaten already, but you don't have, what is that hormone? Ghrelin or something, whatever that ghrelin. 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 Yeah. So that's not signaling you that you're full. So you keep eating and that's what happens when you breathe you're not getting the signal. And then your, you know, your metabolism wants everything to stay the same. So it's hard to lose weight. Right. And then your respiratory center wants everything to stay the same. Even if the thing, you know, the, the system, the, the homeostasis is not healthy. It doesn't want to change hmm. because it's how it's always been. And it wants it to stay the same. So you have to force things to change sometimes, you know, and you have to do these breath holds and you have to force your respiratory center to tolerate and your system to tolerate the carbon dioxide. Gotcha. Yeah. I, thanks for clarifying that. I, um, I hope that what was clarifying and not, well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in some ways it seems simple. In some ways it, it feels complex, but I know like personally it's, it's very clear that it's a very powerful tool and i think it's so awesome that it's free and we all have it like i feel like no matter what somebody's situation is i think a lot of people out there are on some kind of healing journey and i feel like no matter what it is what you're trying to healing from you can probably get some percentage better just from you know, devoting some of the minutes of your day to nothing else but practicing strengthening this this tool. I mean, it you could do it a lot quicker than it would take to, you know, drive to the gym or drive to the Pilates studio and take a class. I mean, it, it doesn't take long. And I, my guess is that frequency would be more important than like duration like i think doing you know a few minutes a few times a day is probably more powerful than 20 minutes once a day or and you know we could always find a few minutes to you know for ourselves if if it's important yeah i mean you're you're exactly right so so consistency and like how many times a day you're doing it is more important there is a really interesting um number though. So they've studied that if you do five long breath holds and all of these breath holds are over 30 seconds after, like after five long breath holds, they, those involuntary contractions of your diaphragm, they activate your spleen. 
So your spleen starts producing and kind of kicking out more new red blood cells than it was before. And it does that for the next three hours. Oh, no kidding. That's interesting. And for those listeners, 30 seconds, if you're unpracticed might sound like overwhelming, but it's not. I was actually just uh, working in the gym with Sarah and one of her, um, her friends, who's like a colleague Pilates instructor at our brick and mortar location. And she's been having trouble and she's a bit of a mouth breather and feels like, and she listened to something that I think it might've been um, something from Patrick McCowan because she was told to like test her breath hold and she couldn't do it, you know, for just, it was just a few seconds. She couldn't make 15 seconds. So I said, you know, give me a few minutes and I'll, I'll get you to do a minute breath hold. And like, she couldn't really believe that. And they like finished their workout. And then I said, all right, you got a few minutes before you leave, lay down. And I just kind of coached them through this uh, simple thing. It was like 10 breaths in and then a breath hold. And the first try she did it, it was about 30 seconds. And on her second set, she got about 50 seconds. And, and Sarah was doing it too next to her. So they like were both totally calm after that and was like, what just happened? And it was amazing. It was like, it was a five minute tutorial and you're able to hold your breath for longer than you could have imagined just a few minutes before you would have never thought you could do that. Like, and, and I've gone through that, like not deep dives with my clients, but just like little introductions like that. And they all do it. Like everybody holds their breath for about a minute or longer. The first session, usually on the second set. I mean, I'm not sure what, what you're doing. Cause it, it's, I'd, I'd love to see it. Cause that like the, um, the breath holds took me months to get to 60 seconds. Oh wow! And I'm doing five breath holds three times a day. So what were you doing to prep for the breath hold? Like, was there a... Yeah, there's a series, there's a technique to it. So you do in the, in the oxygen advantage method, you do, um, you get ready f- for it. For, first, you take your bolt score. Your bolt score is where you hold your breath after an exhale and you let go at the first muscle contraction, whether it's your diaphragm or your throat muscles. So that's like a normal, when you have the, like a, your first sense that you need to breathe when you're holding your breath and you're doing that just to get a baseline that's like your baseline okay so whatever that number is you should and you be said able that's to called the bolt b-o-l-t yeah body oxygen level test okay it's also called the control pause sometimes so whatever that number is you should be able to that indicates that you could hold three times that long so if it's 20 like if you get a contraction at 20, you should be able to go to 60, you know? So like you take that, you just get your test, you take your heart rate to see what it is at the beginning of the practice. And then you do for three minutes, you exhale. And these have to be normal exhales, not like the, not that kind of breath. So you just try to catch yourself on an exhale. You hold your nose and you hold your breath for five seconds. And then you breathe normally through your nose for 10 seconds. So it's five second hold, 10 second normal breathing. And you do that for three minutes. Then the next thing you do is you do something called a recovery, recovery breath. So the recovery breath is where you hold your nose for 15 seconds 
and you're bobbing your head up and down or turning your head side to side. And the movement builds up more carbon dioxide. So you're slowly introducing the carbon dioxide into your blood. Just because you're creating a, like a muscular contraction that creates a demand? The muscular contraction, anytime you're contracting muscles off puts carbon dioxide. So it's the muscles are giving off carbon dioxide. So there's more carbon dioxide in your bloodstream. So then you do that for like six breaths. So you're doing that head moving while you're holding your breath for 15 seconds. And then you do something, the, the, you do one minute of cadence breathing. So you're inhaling for four seconds, just feeling your rib cage slightly expand. And then you're exhaling, feeling it um, return to a little narrower position. And then you start doing your maximum pauses. So then your maximum pauses, you always try to hold after an exhalation. So then you see how long you can hold. And then in between each breath hold, you do one minute of cadence breathing, the four second inhale, six second exhale. So that's the whole thing I do every day, three times a day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was doing something a little different to get the long breath holds. So I'll do what I've learned as like a yogic breath, or I think it might be Bastrika Pranayama, where it, to me, it feels like a very subtle version of the Wim Hof. So it's it is a deep inhale, but I'm not doing like 20, 30, 40 breaths and it's all through the nose. So I'm not just like, just blasting through hyperventilation, but it maybe it is a low level of hyperventilation. It's, you know, so it's not really aggressive, but it is a full breath. And I'm really focusing on the sequence, like belly, chest, and then, and then on like the, usually I'll, like when I'm teaching someone, I'll just have them do 10. And then on the last one, let it out as slow as possible and let the breath come to stillness. And it, it works every time. Like I'm amazed. And, um, and usually, so I would do, when I started, I was doing uh, like Wim Hof stuff. I was doing these 25, 30 breaths and I would get like a two minute hold. But now that I've practiced, I could do five easy breaths and still get like a minute, 30, minute, 45 hold. And I'm like, well, I'm getting just as almost as good of a hold from a fraction of the amount of effort. I don't get all the like dizziness and seeing colors, which sometimes I like that. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, high on your own supply kind of thing. So, and there are times where I go for that and, and I'm like trying to induce some kind of spiritual experience, but for my go-to every day, I'm just like, you know, five to 10 inhales and then get a nice breath hold. And I'll do a few of them. And I've never done it where I didn't feel really glad after I did it, that I did it. Like it always feels good. It's a hundred percent effective. What it's doing is it's, it's, you're training, you're, you're retraining your diaphragm, right? So our diaphragms, this is, this as a Pilates teacher and somebody who deals with like backs and um, posture all the time, this part was like wild to me. This was like kind of exciting. Was that the, and I've, I've done dissection labs where I've like seen the diaphragm and I didn't even know this. So when you have hyperventilation, which is the same as asthma, which is the same as people who have anxiety, your diaphragm doesn't return to that domed resting position because you don't take the. Oh, you, you cut out there yeah, a little bit. Because you're just inhaling, inhaling, I'm, I'm inhaling. sorry to cut you off there. You, you cut out a little um, bit. Gonna, Can you start that over yeah, okay. with the diaphragm? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me now? 
I, yep. I so can, yes. If you're, if you're just inhaling all the time, like an asthmatic, so you're inhaling too much, your diaphragm doesn't return to that full domed like resting position. It's in a dome like a, like a jellyfish or something like a parachute, and it's up by the bottom lobes of your lungs. And if you're just inhaling, your diaphragm's moving downward on the inhale. So your diaphragm becomes flattened and, and the, it loses its dome shape because it's not going back up to the ceiling, right? So what happens is that it starts to affect your back and your posture. So you, you don't expand in all, you know, all directions and your full circumference of your diaphragm because it's becoming atrophied. Your diaphragm, like any other muscle, can become atrophied. And this was like wild to me because you, I thought you could do it by exhaling harder. That's what my asthma doctors used to have me do when I was a little kid. You had to exhale and you had to push the thing, a little like ball up the right, tube right. or whatever. I remember seeing my grandfather have to use one of those things, yeah. Those things don't, that doesn't train your diaphragm. The only way you can train your diaphragm is by breath hold. So the, you're, so on the exhale is when the diaphragm goes back to that resting position. Yes. And then I'm sorry, I didn't complete the excitement about the back part. <laughs> I didn't explain that. Yes. It goes back up to the resting position. So the pelvic floor being this like curve shape at the bottom of muscles and then the diaphragm being a you know dome shaped top of the of the of the tube here you actually get that's called your zone of apposition so if you ever want to look it up later it's zoa zone i always thought it was opposition but it's apposition um so the zone of apposition is really your inner core unit and if it's not if it's too small, if your diaphragm becomes flattened and atrophied, your, your fascia on your back, the fascia that's called your thoracolumbar fascia, it's basically the fascia in between your rib cage and your pelvis, that fascia becomes really stiff. So, and, it's, and it becomes stiff and kind of inflexible. So your back will be inflexible. These are our people whose ribs are forward, right? They're walking around in back bends. That's because they, those people most of the time have some kind of breathing dysfunction. Hmm. And the breath holds actually training the diaphragm to slowly go back up to that resting position influences that thoracolumbar fascia, that fascia on your low back, and it makes it stronger. So the more your breath holding, the, the pressure of the breath hold is pushing back into that fascia. And by pushing into it, it's making it stronger. What do you think is like the underlying driver of some of this dysfunction? Is it just the fact that we sit in chairs too much and because our posture is funky, our mechanics are off? Or do you think it's just the stress of life where we just can't like let our breath go? I, I think it's stress. So. Um, cause I've also studied some cranial nerve, um, cranial nerve techniques, and I think it's stress. So, you know, everybody talks about heart rate variability and vagus nerve and how the, the nervous system is involved in breathing. And that, that's the biggest one. And, um, personally, <laughs> I found that like, I'm not, I, I believe everybody should do what, what they need to do, but 
I'm not going to go to therapy and figure out why I have all these stressors and why I thought I'm not going to do it. It makes things worse for me. I just want to address the problem. Um, and you know, a stress could be like a little kid who's four years old, just putting his hand by the stove and there's something cooking. And one of the parents yells at the kid and the kid jumps, you know, that's stress. That kid just got stressed out, but it was for an important reason, right? So we, we don't learn how to deal with stress and how to counteract stress. You know, and those people that were like working on getting yoga in the classroom, that's wonderful. That's those kids would grow up with more strategies to deal with stress. Like we're always gonna have stress, but it's how do you, like how you deal with it. And most of us don't deal with it. So we just get more stressed out. We start, you know, whatever, whatever bad habits we have. Soothing it with something. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of those self-soothing things that are not healthy. Um, you know, and then also like people that talk for a living, you know, I was never in chorus and I wasn't trained how to sing and like retain my breath. So we're talking, uh, you know, we've been talking the whole hour and as a Pilates teacher, I talk for a good, good part of the session. I try not to talk nonstop, but, um, you know, teachers, who lecture, anybody who's do, who lectures for a living, you have to learn how to offset that. So, you, you know, I've been trying to do just in between clients. My practice is I stop in between clients. I really do try to save that five minutes and I go do the five second hold, 10 second normal, five second hold, 10 second normal. I just do that to my next client to reset my blood gases. Yeah. I work i mean i haven't been working in the gym much since it's almost a year now because uh you know life has changed but um i would always make it a priority when i was scheduling appointments to leave the gym i i work at is um it's in the lower level of an office building it's a really nice facility but there's no windows and um you know you're under artificial lights you're talking a lot and it is hard to breathe in a relaxed fashion when you're uh, talking and giving instruction. And I would always make it a point, like leave 15 minutes between appointments to go upstairs, stand out in the sun and just mm -hmm. kind of reset. And if I didn't do that, if like I couldn't because of a scheduling conflict, um, I really noticed, like I really noticed, I mean, even just working, you know, maybe three appointments in a row without any breaks, you get out of there and you're like racy, like your nervous system is all yeah, fired like, up in a, in that like fight or flight mode. And like, I'll come home and it's a short drive from home. So like, I'll get home from, you know, a triple shift or whatever. And it's hard not to take that stress home with you because it's five minute drive and it just, you haven't done it yet. So you're like coming from that environment and then like your family's there. And they're all calm and you walk in and you're not and yeah. like yeah you're right we need strategy so this is great because it's such a a great like entry point to having a a strategy that really anybody can introduce it's a it, it's a real like low-hanging fruit for for the masses so it's exciting that this word is being spread yeah i mean i'm super passionate about it and i'm gonna keep teaching it. I, I don't remember being this passionate about anything in, in, since I found Pilates. Like I was like this excited about Pilates, still excited about Pilates, but like, this is amazing to me. You know, I, the other thing with that, the, um, 
this one, this one breath breathing technique that we do in the oxygen advantage, the one I described earlier, where you hold for 15 seconds and you're moving your head, that's also known as the nose on blocking exercise. So people tell me they're scared to tape their mouth shut at night because they usually they're like, my nose is blocked, my nose is stuffy. But this nose on blocking exercise, it works because the other, you know, we talked about oxygen and carbon dioxide. You mean if but you're just congested, like your nose is stuffed yep. up? Okay. It works like a charm because nitric oxide is produced in your nasal passages. And nitric oxide is a vasodilator. So it dilates all of your veins and arteries and it actually opens your bronchial tubes. And so it, it pools while you're holding your breath and you're moving your head. It starts pooling in your nasal passages. And then when you let go, that nitric oxide is opening things up. And you don't need a blue pill for it. No, and you know that that's where the, the um, scientists who actually won the Nobel Prize, they were actually, they were studying nitric oxide and that one of the outcomes was Viagra, right? Yeah, you know, I think I remember Patrick, uh, maybe I was watching just like a YouTube video, maybe he was being interviewed. And um, I think it was kind of early pandemic and he was talking about nitric oxide as a really our first line of defense as mm -hmm. a as an antiviral and I guess an antimicrobial in gen general exactly. and how powerful just being a nose breather compared to a mouth breather can be to fight infection because that's that's the entry point it's created in the nose so it's sitting right there for when pathogens come in it's like it's the front line of the battleground yeah there's so many filters that that air has to go through if you're breathing through your nose, right? You've got all your nose hairs. There's like, there's nasal concha. There's all these twists and turns that it has to go through to get down into your, you know, your lower airways. So it's highly filtered if you're breathing through your nose. It's not filtered at all if you're breathing through your mouth. Stuff just flies in there. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's wild. It just makes you wonder like, what kind of dent something so simple could have could make on a global scale when we're all, you know, mindful of, you know, stuff floating around or whatever, and like how much more resilient we could be as a population, as a species, if we were breathing how we're really how we're designed to breathe. Yeah, exactly. I hundred, you know, I, I agree with you. It's really interesting, and it you know, maybe it's going to increase longevity because you're reducing oxidative stress on all of your tissues. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, what's, so what's your general practice? You, you mentioned like what you do within a session, you do that once a day, twice I do a day, three times a day right now. And how so, long does that whole session take you? Takes me about 15 minutes. Gotcha. Um, I, you know, I couldn't hold my breath. My control pause was like 10 when I started. It was horrible. Like I was like, and I was like, what's going on? I was a marathon runner. You know? <laughs> Isn't but that was, crazy? <laughs> I mean, but that just tells you like how, you know, somebody, could, I wasn't a great runner by the way, but I was doing it. That was all willpower. Like I was huffing and puffing. I was like, you know, sometimes I would run for so long and I would make myself sick, like sick to my stomach, but I like loved running, but I was not efficient with running at all. Like I was horrible breathing with it. I was a horrible breather. And, um, you know, my practice has come so far. Like I, I walk now, I don't ever sit down doing the breath holds. 
like I, I was sitting doing the breath holds at first because it was more comfortable and the oxygen advantage allows you to sit down. And then, um, and then I got up to like 90 seconds, you know, for a while. And then I, I was pushed when in my training to start doing longer breath holds um, and to do them walking around. So Patrick makes you walk around. And when I started walking, I was back to like 20 seconds because the walking made it more stressful. And you're right. like, we talked about with the muscles, you're, you're creating more carbon dioxide. But now I've been doing the walking every time I do the practice and I'm up to like 70 seconds when I'm walking around and holding my breath. And I'm really happy with that. I mean, I'm gonna keep improving. I'm pretty happy as somebody who couldn't hold breath for 10 seconds. Yeah, that's some awesome progress. Um, I know that you have a hard stop coming up. You have an appointment. Is there anything else you'd like to like share with the audience or let people know how to reach out to you if they want to learn more about the courses that you take or? Yeah, definitely. Um, people can, can find me on Instagram at, um, Aaron Pilates, or people can email me at the Pilates artist at gmail.com. And that's Aaron E R I N Pilates. E R I N. Yes. Okay. I'm starting a Tuesday night class. It's 6 p.m. Central time. It starts this coming Tuesday next week. And it's gonna be the whole technique that I was talking about the whole um, podcast. And we're gonna, I'm gonna teach people how to do it. And if, you know, if people stick with it every day, that's great, but the class will kind of help you stay on track. So oh, cool. I needed that at first. I needed to be in a class with um, some motivation. Um, and then I started doing, I started feeling better and I started do, you know, doing it on my own, but it helps to get, to make sure you're doing all of the techniques correctly too. And if, if they want to sign up for that class, they could do that through your website. Yes, they okay. can do that through my website. And if they're having trouble doing that, they can email me again at the Pilates artist at Gmail. Um, and I'm also doing, I'm doing some private zoom training. If anybody wants to, um, to do that. Um, I do suggest uh, checking out Patrick's book because like you were talking about, Les, you can, you can actually cure more than asthma with this breathing practice. Yeah, I'll it, definitely check it out. I'm definitely looking forward to his, his new one. And I recommend folks out there to, if you haven't listened to Nestor's book, mm -hmm. or, and I, actually I recommend listening to that one because it's, it's really well narrated. It's, I find it. It's fun. fun. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's a fun read. Um, well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to to help spread some of this uh, breathing wisdom and telling a little bit about your story. And I think it's just really awesome uh, to hear the course you run and the improvements you're making with your own health and teaching others how to do the same. Well, so really, yeah, so really grateful to, to uh, be able to help you spread that message and maybe some people some of our listeners will come check out that Tuesday class and see what other services you offer. Uh, for the listeners out there, I want to thank you again for tuning in. Always grateful for your listening. And I hope everybody out there has a terrific day. Well, thanks again for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I did. Erin seems like an absolute delight and it seems like she's really fighting the good fight and spreading the good word out, word out there in the world. So, uh, as you guys know, breath is a big part of my life and I'm always interested to see how other people are using it as a tool, as, as their medicine, a way to improve their life. So I hope you got some value out of that.
some other things to share. We do get a lot of support at the channel uh, that we're very grateful for, and some people aren't really sure the best way to support us. So we always appreciate those donations, so thank you very much. But I really think the best way to support us, if you haven't yet, is to join our membership. It's really reasonably priced, and it's a growing community, and it's fun. We started some uh, monthly live classes where Sarah and I are kind of guiding folks through a, uh, usually there's an intention setting, a reading of some sort, some breath work, some nervous system work, some gentle movement and stretches, and then a final guided meditation by Sarah. And it's just kind of neat that we're all going through it at the same time all over the world. So I encourage you to check it out. I do think it is the best way to support the mindful movement and become more of a part of the community. And uh, if you are a member out there and you feel like you're getting something out of it, please share that with the audience. Maybe you can inspire others to join. Another thing too is I have been opening up a little bit more one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have not put it on the website yet because um, just being really cautious of how much time I'm allocating towards it. I was a little hesitant at first when things shifted gears a year ago and kind of went online because I wasn't sure that I would really be able to do my best virtually with my one-on-one -on -one clients. I am a, have a history of being more of kind of a, just a hands-on worker, but I've been doing it a little bit and I think it's going well. It's actually, uh, I think, exceeding my expectations. So I am excited to offer that to others. If you are interested in that process, then shoot me an email and we'll see if it's a good fit and I can go over pricing and expectation and what that looks like. But um, just uh, as a starting point, they're generally in five week doses that have a weekly call that's with me about 75 to 90 minutes. There is homework. You will have something to work on uh, to kind of, sh it's kind of a lifestyle shifting process. And uh, all the things that we talk about, mindset, movement, nutrition, and recovery are all integrated into that journey. So it's not for everybody. If you're the type of person that doesn't really like changing the way you spend your time, then it might not be the right fit. If it's someone that wants to just be, uh, have a cheerleader to tell them to do push-ups or something and doesn't want to know what they're doing or why they're doing it or how to do it, that's probably not a good fit. But if you are open-minded and you have a growth mindset and you like to learn new things and you're really looking for someone to help you really facilitate a space for you to grow and cultivate your own practice, then let's chat. It might be a good fit. So again, thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate all the positive feedback I'm getting. And thank you for the reviews. Please keep them coming. And if you know anybody that you think would enjoy this conversation, this conversation then please share it. Have a great day. Thanks.